Welcome to Jerusalem Studio Podcast. Join us to discuss the latest updates from Israel and the region. Shalom and welcome to Jerusalem Studio. Eight years after the United States and Iran, along with a half dozen other international parties, struck a deal to temporarily block Iran's nuclear program in return for the removal of heavy economic sanctions against it, a different deal aiming to ease the same problem seems on the verge of being adopted by Washington and Tehran. In the interim, of course, time did not stand still, and neither did the two sides, with the Trump administration withdrawing from the JCPOA and the Islamic Republic countering by accumulating enriched uranium and interfering with IAEA monitoring of its facilities. How viable is the reported substitute of an understanding rather than an agreement and on freezing the existing status rather than dismantling it? And once the final details emerge officially, will it have the necessary support back home with us to ponder the par- uh, parameters, excuse me, is all the way from New York City, Dr. Oli Heinonen, who is the former International Atomic Energy Agency Deputy Director General and a currently a distinguished fellow at the Stimson Center in Washington, D.C. Thank you for joining us, sir. Thank you. Also joining us from Washington, D.C. is Brigadier General and a retired Brigadier General, excuse me, Mark Kimmett, who is the former Assistant Secretary of State for Political Military Affairs. Thank you for joining us as well, General. Thank you. And joining me here in the studio is our TV7 editor-at-large, Mr. Amir Oren. Amir, give us a broader understanding on this yet-to-be-unveiled arrangement, which Israel already announced that it's not going to abide by or accept in its entirety. Nevertheless, it seems to me at this stage is possibly also a tool to delay the inevitable of dealing with the root cause of this issue. So you talked about uh, the uh, domestic repercussions back home. Actually, there are three homes, if we are speaking about back home. There is um, the American um, domestic uh, scene, the Iranian domestic scene, and of course, we are close to home here, the Israeli uh, domestic scene. And there has been a tactical shift because obviously, Prime Minister Netanyahu has been briefed on uh, the uh, general outline of whatever understandings um, are being hatched, he has been more quiet than before. Um, perhaps because following Secretary of State Blinken's trip to Saudi Arabia, this could be part of uh, a regional arrangement by which uh, Israel acquiesces with whatever happens between Washington and Tehran in exchange for normalization with Saudi Arabia, which also has other parameters, including uh, the uh, Saudi nuclear program and whatever Israel can do for the Palestinians. So it's a more complex issue than just the understandings. We have yet to hear President Biden speak about it, but we did hear Supreme Leader Khamenei Uh, say that uh, whatever his negotiators uh, can agree on, he will support. Uh, Of course, uh, there were uh, several caveats, but uh, it seems as if something will emerge probably soon because it also has to play in the uh, presidential election of 2024 in the United States. And also the Iranians and the Israelis have to sell it 
to their audiences. I'd like to start with General Kimmet. General, is this a, an effort to try and alleviate regional tensions, or is it actually to concretely deal with uh, the, the main challenge at hand, Iran's uh, ongoing efforts to ratchet up its nuclear capacity that may then cross into a point of no return? Well, I would tell you, Jonathan, I'm completely mystified at this point on uh, what's going on here. Uh, I can't believe that there's a deal to be had that would be recognized by both sides. Uh, unlike Emil, I don't think this is going to play in the presidential politics in the upcoming elections. And candidly, if Israel doesn't support this, uh, President Biden is stepping on one of the third rails of American uh, policy, which is support for Israel. So uh, I, I and I don't understand what's going to be the modalities of an agreement. How is it going to be verified and how is it going to be enforced? So, again, this is for those of us that watch this situation. I guess we're going to have to see what this number one, uh, this deal is. And number two, how the president sells it. Uh, to the American people. It's going to be a tough job for him. Indeed, a tough job. Uh, I'd like to ask you, Dr. Heinonen, is such an arrangement, regardless of uh, its various caveats, capable of actually thwarting Iran from continuing its efforts behind closed doors? I doubt it. Let's see what is technically and physically there. So this deal, if it is as it's in public, actually solidifies Iran's nuclear program to situation where it can produce 60% enriched uranium, but not go to any higher levels. It doesn't reduce any number of centrifuges. It doesn't reduce the stocks. And in particular, it still, even if they get rid of the 60% enriched uranium, there are those 20% enriched uranium. Iran has now 30,000 centrifuges installed, perhaps one third of them not in use. If you take this material which is now there and convert it using maybe some 600 or so uh, IR6 more advanced centrifuges to high-end uranium hexafluoride, it will take about 10 days for the first weapon. Another 10 days for the sec second, third days third weapon in 30 days. Okay, then you have a uranium hexafluoride, you need still to make it to uranium metal components. In each case, it takes some other 30 days. So after 10 plus those 30 plus other 30, so in less than 100 days, Iran has nuclear weapon components manufactured for three nuclear weapons. If we look back to the history, and go to the Manhattan Project. In May 1945, US had everything ready for the bomb of Hiroshima, with the exception of uranium. They didn't have enough high-end uranium. That got sold during June. Device was shipped to Japan or to Pacific end of July, and then early August it was used. So there is no state, uh, nation which will wait after having this uh, uranium hexafluoride or uranium metal component, wait and start to think how I turn it to weapon. Weapon design is there if they break out. 
And this is the weakness of the current verification system because it was left uninspected after 2003. We don't know what the AMAR program did and the people did after 2003. And this is, I think, the crux of the matter. It's a tremendous risk to agree to this, that Iran will have this 60% enrichment uh, uh, going on with all those centrifuges which are there, with the unknown number of additional centrifuges which are not yet installed, and keeping in mind that in 2010, Mr. Salehi himself said that they have considered 10 other sites for uranium enrichment. So there are a lot of risks, and I think at the Biden administration, if they go to this, they need to provide a full risk assessment to the public. This is needed for the peace, not only for the United States of America, but in the Middle East. Indeed. Mr. Owen? Uh, so the um, Iranian uh, gunman in this Western-style movie goes into the saloon with uh, his hand on the holster, and no one knows whether his uh, gun is cocked and loaded, or loaded and cocked, I'm sorry, or whether uh, it doesn't have bullets um, in its uh, chamber. And he demands um, whatever, um, a few uh, dollars more from the bartender. Uh, you can take your pick regarding the uh, uh, script. The uh, sheriff standing next to the bar um, is more ready than the gunman to shoot, but he doesn't have the uh, legitimacy to do it unless the gunman moves towards the, the gun. And probably the sheriff would like to keep it uh, uh, peaceful and quiet and pay, or nod to the bartender to pay the, uh, the Iranian. This is fine, but there is also the Israeli customer stay, standing not far from them, and he is not going to take any chances. Well, uh, the fact of the matter is, and we had two generals here just last Friday uh, communicate about a potential multi-sector war uh, with uh, the chief culprit, of course, being the Islamic Republic of Iran, in which one of those ju uh, two generals highlighted that the Americans are blocking Israel from acting against Iran in this situation, not only against Iran, but also against its proxies to avoid a multi-sector war at this stage. Uh, and this is something that brings uh, another question to mind, General Kimmet. Uh, what is an alternative at this stage when there is clear lack of leadership or at least will to act from the current administration in Washington? And uh, as so long as there is no responsible actor in Washington in dealing with uh, this uh, issue, uh, it seems like things are just going from bad to worse. Well, to commit, continue Emil's uh, analogy, I think the best thing to do is for the sheriff to already have his gun out pointing at him when he walks, when the bad guy walks into the saloon. So he shows a clear, incredible capability, a clear, incredible deterrence to ensure that the bad guy does not pull his gun out of his holster. And candidly, I'd like the deputy sheriff on the second floor of the saloon with a shotgun aiming at the guy just in case the sheriff misses. And what do I mean by that? I think what has to happen is rather than sit there at the bar without reaching for your gun, that the gun is pointed. I think the way the gun is pointed is by clear, incredible military exercises on a frequent basis that demonstrates to Iran that there is not only the capability, but the willingness to use military force 
to prevent uh, Iran from a developing a nuclear weapon. That is Joe Biden's policy, and we've got to make sure that that policy is fully understood by the Iranians. Uh, oddly enough, Ukraine may fit into this as well. Putin clearly did not believe that the Biden administration had the stomach for the fight in Ukraine. And Putin was, was surprised. And I think the Iranians should be learning from this that, in fact, uh, America does have the stomach for the fight and that this is not just a paper tiger flying overhead, but it's a clear and credible capability to make a significant impact, if not destroy, for a period of time, the Iranian nuclear program. And of course, contingencies are already in place. The question is whether or not to trigger those contingencies. Uh, Dr. Heinonen, I'd like to ask you, uh, you mentioned in the last sentence of your uh, analysis, a risk assessment which should be presented also to uh, U.S. partners in the region. What kind of risk assessment do you see at this stage vis-a-vis -vis the current state of play with what is publicly known to uh, to Iran's uh, stage of nuclear enrichment and its progress in potentially developing a nuclear weapon? I, I see three areas with, where something needs to be explained. The first one is really an assessment. Where did the nuclear weapons program stop? What is the probability that it has continued in secrecy? And if it has continued to its degree, we already know from the national intelligence estimate that something went there under 2007 and then IAEA found in 2015 that something went until 2009. So what we really know about the absence of those? That's the first one. The second one is to do with the sites, additional sites. Are there additional construction? What were those 10 sites Mr. Salehi was talking? What has been done there? Are they just tunnels or are they just pieces of mountain or rock where any no excavation has been done? This needs some kind of thorough scrutiny and assessment. What has taken place there? And then the third one is certainly the delivery vehicle and to see what has happened after the Sahab 3 missile. Because now Iran has a variety of much more powerful uh, missiles with some of them even solid fuel and they fly some up to 2,000 kilometers. So what is the status? Have they been modified to carry nuclear weapons? And I just want to point out that the person who is in charge of the aerospace forces uh, program in Iran is the same person who was working in Ahmad program with the Saab 3 missile. And then I think that we have to, as a last Thing also to look the IAEA safeguards approach. I don't think it's in a good shape. Oh, sorry to tell. But when I read the report, I ask a very simple question. Is the IAEA able to make independent conclusion about the nuclear material inventories in Iran? Why I say, when I read the JCPOA report, they say that they rely pretty much on the numbers given by Iran. That's not a very efficient. Yes, you can check some consistencies. You can see, you know, cylinders coming and going. But quantitative in independent verification is the one which IAEA needs. And then the last of this equation is that 
There has been some confusion also about the IAEA surveillance in, for example, in Natas. Mr. Kamal Wandi said mistakenly a week ago that yes, there are IAEA cameras in, in Natas. And then he came and corrected, oh, oh, we made Isfahan. So I'm a bit surprised if there are no cameras of IAEA in Natas, because it used to be part of the uh, verification approach. And then the third deficiency there is that IAEA says that it cannot have daily access to Natas, and I think also Bordeaux. Well, they should also say that whether they are able to conduct independently short notice under unannounced inspections, which the IAEA does in every country where uranium enrichment plants are. Are those permitted? Yes or no? And how many are there? So these are, I think, important parameters to convince to the international community that everything is on, in a control. And if there are deficiencies, which are risks associated to those deficiencies, and if there is any way to mitigate them. Indeed. Well, Mr. Owen, I'd like to ask uh, a question which may be a little bit out of the box. But uh, prior to the 2015 nuclear agreement with Iran or the Joint Comprehensive Plan of Action, the United States managed to convince, uh, also joined by Israel in, in that meeting, uh, which I'm thinking about, uh, the Chinese to partake. And for an unprecedented manner in, in this case scenario, the Chinese were not only abstaining in approving the Joint Comprehensive Plan of Action and its subsequent resolution, but even voted in favor of that resolution and also prior resolutions that sought to pressure Iran into giving in to such a demand. Now that the Chinese are so adamantly invested in the Middle East, particularly in the Islamic Republic of Iran, with substantive investments for a long-term uh, period, as well as Saudi Arabia and elsewhere, uh, despite the fact that it is engaged in strategic competition with the United States, do you see them coming in or swooping into the situation in an effort to help the United States alleviate prospects of a multi-sector war that, quite frankly, might bring about uh, the demise of the current regime and destroy Iran in, in uh, quite a fashion that will render all of those investments moot? Well, you convinced me. Had I been uh, a decision maker in Tehran, I would have given up uh, uh, following uh, your question. And um, if you look at it rationally, analytically, everyone wants stability. The Chinese want stability in the region for energy and for trade and for very uh, many reasons. The Russians would like um, to have stability contrary to the old Soviet wish of um, muddying the waters um, uh, everywhere. The problem is, if you go back to the old uh, trust but verify uh, dictum, is that uh, you can never trust the uh, Iranians, and uh, it is impossible to verify, unless either Israeli intelligence or US intelligence or some combination managed to penetrate both the uh, inner sanctum of Khamenei and the uh, technical workings of the um, nuclear enterprise there. And if they know exactly what is happening, but of course they're not letting the public uh, have uh, any of it, then you may know whether uh, they can rest assured or not. But um, 
Yes, you cannot uh, look at it uh, just rationally and say, of course, they don't want to commit suicide. These are not kamikazes. And uh, uh, what uh, um, sensible regime would like uh, to uh, endanger its very survival and national survival? But you can't trust them. Well, trusting the Iranians on faith value, of course, uh, with its own track record but you know, there's, is there's a big some, question. There's uh, something else. For the Americans, of course, and General Kimmit knows it uh, much uh, uh, better than uh, the, the, uh, we others, there are many challenges and there is a uh, global responsibility. And also, if Israel attacks Iran, American troops in the Middle East and American friends and allies might suffer the consequences. So, of course, President Biden and any other chief executive, as well as Congress, must uh, also uh, consider these repercussions. But for Israel, if it believes that there is an existential threat, all other considerations will go out the window. Well, with recent deployments of U.S. forces uh, in Syria and elsewhere, it seems like the Americans are changing gear, even not... Uh, no, but, but in Qatar and Bahrain and other places. Right. Uh, well, General Kim, I'd, I'd like to hear your perspective on this. Uh, of course, uh, uh, the, the Americans or uh, the, the current administration may have learned from uh, lessons uh, pertaining to the previous case study vis-a-vis -vis the Chinese and uh, the North Koreans, but uh, would you see a scenario in which uh, the uh, uh, current or next administration would consider... Uh, cooperating with the Chinese once more in order to try and alleviate tensions vis-a-vis -vis Iran? Well, I certainly don't think that is the uh, uh, situation right now, despite uh, Secretary Blinken coming back to America saying uh, we have peace in our time now with China. Uh, I think that we still have significant, serious, and at this point, unsurmountable differences with China to the point where uh, there would be grave concern on the part of the United States Congress if we somehow colluded with the Chinese in order to negotiate uh, with the Iranians to reduce uh, tensions. I mean, in many ways, when you multiply fractions, you come up with a smaller number. And I think working with the Chinese and through the Chinese negotiating with the Iranians would absolutely be uh, a net negative uh, to what we're doing at this point. Dr. Heinonen, how, how do you perceive this matter with regard to um, potentially having more influence from the Chinese, from even the Russians, uh, which uh, are somehow have managed to get the Iranians out of one outstanding question uh, regarding one of the probes? Uh, do you see them acting positively in a scenario in which the Iranians could scale back on their current enrichment and activities, even though the fact that also Mr. Oren alluded to initially, uh, that uh, the Supreme Leader, Ayatollah Ali Khamenei, said that they're willing to agree to everything so long as the infrastructure is not touched. Yeah, I think that the infrastructure seems to be staying there, the way I understand the negotiations with the U.S., which Iran can then use as a threat to achieve some other objectives which it, it has by telling that if we are not happy, we might go up to higher enrichments and cite the provisions of NPT that they can do it. But it's, I think it with the longer term, it's also in interest of China and Russia to have a more peaceful Middle East, in particular the Chinese probably don't like the situation where 
price of oil shoots up because they are heavily independent on energy imports and oil imports. So this is, I think, where the, the answer is with the Chinese and maybe then some investments. Russia has perhaps much more short-term interest now because of situation in Ukraine, in Syria and elsewhere. So it might be more difficult. But on the other hand, let's wait a few months and see how Mr. Putin is doing that, whether he actually needs help. Indeed. Well, we're drawing near to the end of the program. and I'd like to give each and every one of you the opportunity to have a closing assessment and uh, also an outlook for the near future. If I may start with you, General Kimmett. Well, I remain more mystified at the end of this conversation than at the beginning. I don't believe that Iran is a uh, partner we can trust in any sorts of negotiation. Uh, I don't think that they are willing to do and allow an inspection and verification regime sufficient to calm our concerns about their ongoing nuclear program. I think at root, uh, China believes that their model, excuse me, that Iran believes that their model ought to be the North Korean model. Talk, 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 develop, 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 and then one day explode a nuclear weapon and make it a point in fact, and then start a new negotiation, uh, or I should say a new diplomatic relation in the world as a nuclear power. Indeed. Dr. Heinonen? Yes, I pretty much agree on that and what General said, but with one additional remark, and this is that Iran has now a powerful tool, this enrichment and short, you know, breakout times. So they probably think that there is the leverage which they can use. And the question is then really, look, the weaknesses of the other parties, which may be like energy and China, maybe investments, and Russia with its other efforts, that maybe the solution is there. But it needs a different kind of diplomacy. It's not this sort of things, you know, where you negotiate through intermediates, some small deals where you really don't know what you get. I think it's a time to put all the chips on the table and do some hard thinking. Mr. Owen? Iran is practically a threshold state now, a nuclear threshold state. What is between the threshold and the door to the big room where the big powers meet? Money. President Biden wants to put up a wall made of money, of sanctions relief, to convince the Iranians not to cross over from the threshold to the room. Is it going to succeed? Your guess is as good as mine. Well, I think that there is one more anecdote that we should add to that, and that is elections, uh, because ultimately he wants to portray himself as a powerful leader to the American public. And quite frankly, the Iranian question is one of his failures. The, therefore, God save the queen. And God save the king, too. Well, there's all the time that we have for today. So I'd like to thank General Kemet, Dr. Heinonen, and Mr. Oren, of course, uh, as well. And I'd like to thank all of you as well at home. Until next time. Shalom. Thank you for joining us in another Jerusalem Studio podcast. For more content on Israel and its region, we invite you to visit our website at tv7israelnews.com and follow us on social media.